Welcome to the City Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. As a community of faith, we are passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus. The message for this week is from our current verse-by-verse study from the book of James. In each message, we will see some practical truths for living God's way in situations and circumstances that are often out of our control. As always, we would love to have you join us for a Sunday service sometime here soon in Vancouver. You can find directions, more info, and more sermons on our website at citybaptist.ca. And, uh, good. Well, we're in the book of James, and like I talked about last week, last week was really kind of, uh, I don't know, what do you call it? It's introductory, right? We talked a lot about the book. We talked a lot about its founding and uh, the author and all of those kind of things. We know it's written by a guy named James, uh, not the apostles, either of those two named James. It was uh, written by the brother of Jesus Christ, his half-brother, in fact, step-brother, and uh, he wrote this book. And it's so interesting about James is that he did not come to follow Christ until the resurrection. Imagine being in the same house as Jesus your whole life and still not believing, and that resurrection changes everything for him. By the way, I think if your step-brother was raised from the dead, you would finally believe he was God too, right? And <laughs> stepbrothers are hard to believe or hard to, <laughs> hard to love, right? But uh, he finally came around, and so very quickly we see him step into a, po- a position of leadership in the church in Jerusalem as it kind of got rolling and things started happening there. We see him very quickly move into that position of leadership as the church began to be scattered, and he really made a big impact for the Lord. But the book here that we have is the very first book written in the New Testament. You might say the oldest book in the New Testament, written about AD 50, and it was written to the Jews of the dispersion. You remember that in verse number one, uh, he had said uh, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, uh, greeting. That word greeting means rejoice. So he said to those who were scattered abroad, he said, I want you to rejoice. And then he proceeds to give them essentially the book of Proverbs uh, in the New Testament form, where it's just like one thing after the other. This is a good thing to do. This is a good thing to do. This is a good thing to do. And so where we're at right now, as we just got started last week, we covered down through verse uh, number four. Today, we're going to go verses five through verse verse number 12, and it's really some practical thoughts written to, uh, written by this pastor to these people who were scattered. Uh, you got to remember, the church there went through some terrible persecution. At first, it was all fun and games, right? Day of Pentecost, another time there's uh, multiple thousands saved. They're meeting everywhere. The, the, the apostles are going from house to house every single day, preaching multiple places. Lots of things are happening, but then pers- persecution came primarily through a guy by the name of Saul, later on, of course, the Apostle Paul, but originally he was a persecutor. And so we see in, uh, I just want to show you this real quick, in Acts chapter 8, talks about what was taking place here. In verse number 1, it says, and Saul was consenting unto his death, that's the death of Stephen, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Verse 3, it says, as for Paul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women committed them to prison. See in verse number one, it says death. And then the end of verse three, it says prison. So this is the kind of persecution that was coming to the early church. And as you can imagine, that would be pretty frightening, don't you think? I I mean, imagine if next Sunday I had to get up and be like, hey, we really need to pray for Andy. He's in jail. You know, uh, we really need to pray for, uh, you know, uh, for Blair's family because he took one for the Lord last Sunday, a bullet actually, and he died for sharing his faith. Now think about that for a minute. Think about the fear that it would bring to a church congregation. Imagine the struggle that, w- that it would be. I don't think any of us could relate, maybe some of you on, on some level, that level of fear. 
But imagine this persecution coming just, I mean, with, with full force of the government behind it coming after this church in Jerusalem. So people were dispersed. Now, we know looking back at the word of God, we know that God was doing something there. He was breaking up that church. He was spreading it to fulfill the Great Commission. But at the time, it would have been a very difficult situation. It would have been a very uh, difficult time for these people to, to leave this church that they, that they had become so accustomed to, that they had become so familiar with. And now, by the time this was written, I mean, 30, 40 years later, they're still dispersed. They're still all over the place, and God was using them. But James still had some very important truths to get across to them. And it would have been very, very hard. And it would have been a difficult situation. But when I read this, the, the question I always ask myself is, well, how, how do I relate then to that, right? How do I relate to that? How, how do I connect into this book written to people going through things that I, I will maybe never have to go through? Well, I believe that there's a lot of commonality still in here, uh, in this book, that we can learn a lot from. And while we're not going through physical persecution, we're not facing death or imprisonment, one of the things that we are facing a lot of, and something that James addressed here right at the beginning, is continuing or attempting to live for God while still facing trials and temptations in our lives. That's the one thing that I was, I was trying to I was search my mind. What do we have in common here? Why is James writing about this specific stuff we're going to look at today? It's because throughout history and even up until today, as Christians, we face trials, don't we? We face temptations. We face difficult situations, things that we were not expecting. We struggle with the trials of life we struggle with temptations of the world. We struggle with our own hearts. We struggle with sinful desires of our past. You don't have to put up your hand today, but how many of you still struggle with sins that you left a long time ago? Right? You can be honest with me. You can nod your head. That's okay. All right? <laughs> I'm with you. I'm nodding. You know, things that, things that have no victory over me, but the temptation is still there. You know what I'm saying? And it's still a struggle sometimes. It still comes along. Maybe it's people or relationships, past things that, that I've experienced or been through that sometimes can be a temptation to me. Or it can just be a trial. Uh, this week, I ran into somebody uh, that I wasn't expecting to run into. You ever have that happen to you? And then all this stuff sort of floods back over you, you know, in your life. And you're like, okay, okay, it's still there, right? And you got you to gotta deal with that. Maybe it's just every family reunion. And that's why some of you don't go to them because uh, you get there and you're like, oh, this flood of emotions is coming. And, and, uh, and, and we, we struggle with these things. We struggle with anger and fear and lust and bitterness and, and unforgiveness, all of these things that we face. And I don't know what you're facing right now. I just want to ask you a quick question, though, as we get started. Right now, what is the biggest trial? What's the most difficult trial in your life right now that you're facing? What's the most difficult trial that you're facing right now? I want you to think about it and hold it there for a minute. I'm not trying to depress you, okay? But I want you to think about that for a minute. Because James here is going to give us the answer to how to work through those trials that we're facing. So whatever you're thinking about right now and whatever it is that you're struggling with, Whatever temptation, maybe it's a temptation for you. Maybe it's a temptation of sin that's overcoming you right now. I want to tell you this morning, there is an escape for that. There is a way to overcome that trial. There's a way to get through that temptation. There's a way that guarantees victory and deliverance from it. And that's the subject of today's message I want to encourage you with, is that God is going to give us the answer to trials and temptations that we face. Now, when we started out the book, we learned how we're to have joy, right? Remember that last week? How we're to have joy uh, in the trials because God has something for us in the trials. And so we can almost, not in a weird way, look forward to trials because God's trying to mold us into who he wants us to be. He's trying to create uh, in us something uh, better for the future. But James, 
recognize, I think more than any of us, the struggle that believers face. And so he gives us some practical steps when we are faced with a trial. You could even apply it to temptations today. And so I'm mentioning that a bit. Next week, we're talking all about temptation and sin. But today we're going to talk about mainly trials that we face. But James here gives us some thoughts as to how we can work through it. So the first one today, if you're taking notes there in your note sheet, first of all, when we're facing a trial, you just need to ask God for wisdom. You've got to ask God for wisdom. I told you, James is intensely practical. So he's just like, listen, ask for wisdom. Number one, don't you love people like that in your life? I have some pastors like that in my life. I'm like, hey, I'm dealing with this situation. They're like, all right, get a pen. Here's what you need to do. Number one, you know, do this. Number two, number three, like eight steps to whatever it is that I'm trying to deal with. And that's great. That's what James is like, okay? So he says, ask God for wisdom. Let's look at verse number five. If any of you lack wisdom, if any of you lack wisdom, now we're just coming off of verse uh, four, talking about we're falling into diverse temptations, multiple trials. Now he says, if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that give it to all men liberally and upbraideth not and it shall be given him. How do we overcome trials? How do we overcome the things that we're facing? By asking God for wisdom. That's the first place that we need to go. Now wisdom here in this book uh, what he's talking about is more than just knowledge. So I want to kind of clear that out of the way. It's more than just knowledge. Wisdom is so much more than knowledge. I think if we went around the room today, we could find a lot of knowledge in here. Don't you think? Right? Okay, I wrote some things down. You ready for this? If we wanted to, just in our church family, I took five minutes, I wrote all these things down. Just in our church family, if you wanted to learn how to build and install commercial electronics, you talk to Jonah. Now he's downstairs with the kids right now, but that's who you talk to. If you want to know how to do it and not, you know, electrocute yourself, talk to Jonah because he's still alive. I can't say the same for some of his coworkers, right? If you want to learn how to uh, size somebody's face for a pair of glasses and fit them perfectly and get the glass made a perfect way, you're going to ask China to do that for you because that's what she does. If you want to learn how to weld a ship together, you ask Mark. Mark, I got this ship. It's all in pieces in my backyard. I need to weld it together. <laughs> He's the guy that you go and you see. If you want to learn how to drive a bus, you're going to ask nicely, right? And they're still away. They're actually with uh, Jamie right now. She had her uh, uh, master's art exhibit. Anyway, so that's where they're at. If you want to learn how to inspect a helicopter engine part, do you know who you ask? Julius. He's got all the measuring stuff. Uh, well, he knows how to find fault anyway uh, in those things. And if you want to do that, if you want to learn how to build a lesson plan, you go and you ask Lauren, right? If you want to learn how to get in shape and not be embarrassed to take your shirt off, you ask Josh right? <laughs> I'm not trying to make fun of anybody. Uh, if you want to make sure that your will is all in place and you make sure everything's right, uh, Elena could probably at least point you in the right direction to help you out with that. Uh, if you want to just analyze some systems, ask John. John Cruz, he will just help you to analyze some things. Whatever it may be, you want to analyze. If you want to balance the books, you ask Winnie or you ask Andy, but you ask Winnie first because she gets it right. <laughs> Uh, if you want to arrest somebody, you ask John, all right? And uh, he's out arresting somebody right now, probably. And if you want to learn to ride a horse, you ask Stephanie. She's not here today. She has the flu, but uh, you ask her if you want to learn how to ride a horse. Yeah, she has a horse and everything. It's pretty cool. So I don't know if she'll let you ride it, but uh, she's got one. And so just within our church family, I can name a dozen more. There's so many things that you guys know, right? If you want to learn how to do makeup like they have it in the movies, you ask Stan. And he's done some incredible stuff follow, uh, look him up on Instagram or something. Look at his, anyway, is it okay if I say that? Yeah. Someday I'm going to come to church and I'm going to look like uh, some sort of alien. It's going to be great. <laughs> I can't wait. I'm still trying to figure out how that would work in a sermon series, uh, but we'll, we'll figure it out. Uh, so there's so much knowledge is what I'm trying to say, right? You know what I'm saying? So much knowledge here. 
But when it comes to working through a besetting sin, when it comes to overcoming a trial or working through a real trial that you're facing in life right now, so much more than knowledge is needed. Wisdom is needed. You need wisdom. So what is wisdom? What does the Bible mean when it says we are to ask for wisdom? Wisdom is not just facts, uh, having a head full of things. It's not uh, just seeing and knowing about life, but wisdom is seeing and knowing what to do about life, what to do with the truth. That's a very simplified way of looking at it. Wisdom is what wisdom does is wisdom grasps the truth of life. It sees the trials and it sees the temptations that you're going through that surround us. And it looks at it in light of the universe. And it looks at it in light of who God is and who he created you to be and what he has called you to do. And it puts them all together and it knows how to approach life. I wrote down a couple different quotes that uh, people said about wisdom. Wisdom is the exercise and practical use of knowledge. That is the exercise and practical use of knowledge. Wisdom is godly behavior in difficult situations. You ever meet somebody that they are in the worst situation in life and they handle it godly? And you're like, man, I need that, right? Okay, they have wisdom is what it is. They have wisdom. Uh, Another way of looking at it is that wisdom is a God-given and God-centered discernment regarding the practical issues of life. Wisdom is being able to look at a situation, a trial in particular, like we're talking about today, and be able to see God working in it. Be able to see God's direction uh, in that particular situation. It understands, and not only does it understand, but it leads you to make the right decision when you're facing those kind of things. Wisdom acts and conquers, and it gains the victory over those trials uh, trials and temptations, and that's the wisdom that we need. That's the wisdom that we need, because that kind of wisdom can only come from God. It can only come from God. And that's why we need it is because when we're facing trials, we need wisdom of God. Now, I'll tell you this. A lot of times when we're going through trials or someone's going through something, we'll say, well, hey, I'll pray for strength, right? You ever prayed for that for somebody? I'll pray for perseverance. I'll pray for, uh, I'll pray for grace or deliverance from what, whatever it is. But the fact is we need wisdom more than all of those things because wisdom will allow you to not waste the opportunities that God is giving you to mature in that situation you're facing. He'll give you the grace that you need to to work through it and not waste the opportunity. So many times we look at our trials as such a a barrier to our life rather than seeing it as an opportunity for God to work in us. I preached a message, I think when we first started the church, opposition is an opportunity for God to work in us. And it's so important to be reminded about. I need to be reminded about that every single week. You realize that? Every week. I ask the Lord, I say, Lord, help me to see you in this situation. Lord, give me wisdom because I need it because I forget so quickly. And so he says to us here, if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. All we have to do, he says, is ask the Lord for it and it promises us something. And I'll tell you this, when God promises something, he's going to do it. Look what he says. He says, ask him God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not and it shall be given him. God promises us wisdom, but not just a little bit of wisdom. He promises liberal wisdom. Now, normally we're against liberality, right? But when it comes to uh, wisdom, we're like, bring it on, right? It's a, it's, it's a whole it's a whole bunch, he says. And he says, and upbraideth not. That's kind of a weird way of saying he's not going to judge you for it. You ever, uh, <laughs> I'll, put it, I'll put it this way. Uh, <laughs> have you ever had somebody uh, tell you something or give you some wisdom and then they say to you, you should have known that? You ever have that? (laughs) 
You know, you ever have that? Like, like, hey, you know, you call up family, like, hey, can you help me out with this? Like, oh yeah, they tell you. And they're like, you should have known that. You should have known that. Okay, that's what it's saying here. God's not up in heaven and be like, yeah, I'll give you the wisdom, but you should, you should have known this. I mean, he's not going to hold it over our heads. He's not going to, um, uh, he's not going to, uh, uh, um, I guess, attack us for it. He just says that I'm going to give you the wisdom to conquer the trials and temptations of life if we just ask. Now, all throughout Scripture, there's a lot of verses about this. I'll just reference a few of them. Luke chapter 21, verse 15, he says, For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. In Proverbs, is a great book about wisdom. He says, Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, and the gain thereof of fine gold. He says having true wisdom of God is better than having a bunch of coin in your pocket so that you can be dripping all over town, right? I just learned that this week, so I had to use it. <laughs> Did I use it properly? <laughs> he says no. <laughs> coin, right? Uh, you, yeah. <laughs> so he's saying wisdom is better than all of those riches. In uh, Proverbs chapter two, he says, yea, if thou criest after knowledge and lifteth up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as for hid treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find knowledge of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom. Here it is. Out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. The fact is that whatever comes your way, God will give you the wisdom to face it if you will come to him and if you will just say, God, give me wisdom. That's the number one prayer of my life right now. Actually, for the last four years, <laughs> God, give me wisdom. The last few months especially, God, give me wisdom. This is what I need. And, and, and it's asking him for it, but it's also asking him for wisdom with an open mind. Because I'll tell you this, and I think you know this from experience and from the Bible, his wisdom will be different than your wisdom. So it doesn't do you any good to go to it. You ever ask somebody a question and ask them for advice, but you've already made up your mind? Right? Okay. If you're on the other end of that, it's a very frustrating situation. I've had that happen so many times. They come like, Pastor, what do you think I should do or whatever? Like, well, you know, uh, this is what the Bible says or whatever. I'm not picking on anybody here, just so you know. Uh, and, you know, this is what the Bible says or whatever. And they're like, okay, I've already made my decision, <laughs> you know. And, and it's like, obviously, they already had made their decision when they came to talk to me. And it's like that with God, though, right? We go to the Lord and say, Lord, give me wisdom, but I already know what I'm doing. So actually asking for wisdom means you're willing for God to change your focus on it. You're, you're willing for him to change the way that he might say. And, and, and James here gets, uh, gets into it a little bit more in verse number six and verse number eight talking about wisdom. So he says you need to ask of God. He's going to give it to you liberally. He's not going to judge you for asking for it. But then he tells us now how we're to ask. So he says this, you need to ask. This is how you ask. Look, look at verse six. But let him ask in, what's that word? Faith. Say it again, faith. Let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. This is really good right here. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. And then he tags this on here in verse eight. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. To put it simply, this is what he's saying here. Ask for wisdom and faith. Faith that God is who he is, who he says he is, and that God has the ability to carry through in your life whatever he promises to you. That's what's having faith here. And then James illustrates for us what the opposite of that looks like. Isn't it amazing? Sometimes in scripture, uh, it'll illustrate a point by giving us the opposite of what we should be to help illustrate what we should be, right? And he pinpoints us perfectly here. 
Did you see that there? Some of you, when you read it, I think some of you are probably like, okay, I, I totally get this. Look what he says. He says here, uh, nothing wavering. He that wavereth is like the wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. He illustrates us. He compares the doubting believer to uh, like the waves of the sea. Up one minute, down the next. Up one minute, down. Now over here, it's, it's pretty calm, but if you get out a little ways where there's more waves, you understand it's just constant. Up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. Does that sound like your life? Up and down, up and down, up and down. Spiritually, your confidence in God, up and down, up and down, up and down. Trusting in faith one moment, doubting God, God's goodness the next, right? Right. Right? I trust you, Lord. I don't trust you, Lord. I trust you, Lord. What are you doing? Right? And it's this back and forth, back and forth uh, of trust. And, and on Sunday, I trust God. I pray. I commit. And then Monday, what is happening to my life? You know? And then Wednesday or whatever it may be. And we're all excited about it, but it's up and down, up and down. Faith says yes. Unbelief says no. This is the experience of the double-minded person that he's experienced, uh, showing here in verse number eight. This up and down, up and down. And, and it's, it's totally the Christian life, isn't it? So many Christians live their life in this way, up one day, down the next, tossed about. Church, this is not uh, the approach of a mature believer to the trials of life. Because whatever trial you're facing right now, if you're up right now and saying, God, I trust you, Lord, I trust you, and then tomorrow you're not trusting him, that's a, that's a terrible place to be, to be honest with you. It's scary. Do you know why? Because it, it creates such insecurity in your life. And so he's saying here, if you're going to ask for wisdom, you need to come to me for wisdom uh, at a plane of faith. Now, are there times where I don't fully understand how God's going to get me through a situation? Of course. We're not talking about uh, foretelling what's going to happen. All we're saying is that, Lord, I need your wisdom, and I trust that your wisdom is going to carry me through what I'm going through right now. In Ephesians, it talks about this idea again where he says that we be henceforth, uh, henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slide of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Now this is talking specifically about people who are uh, deceived by uh, false teachings and they, they, they go back and forth between things, but it applies to what we're talking about today as well. It's, it's sort of a, it's an aspect of our humanity. This back and forth, back and forth, we're, we're wavering and it creates instability in our lives. How many of you hate instability? right? Yeah. Okay. We hate it. So stop it. <laughs> Just like that. That was easy. Okay. Let's close in prayer. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> what he's saying here is that we have to have believing hearts of faith, asking God for wisdom in faith, and God will then give us the wisdom that we need. The truth of this is, is that a double-minded person will not be blessed by God with wisdom. Okay. It's just, it's just the truth of, the, a truth of life living with God. You don't lose your salvation but you certainly can limit your effectiveness for the gospel and you can limit God's work in your life by, by, by having low faith. That's why so much of the Bible talks about having faith. And so when we face trials, we've got to ask the Lord for wisdom and ask for wisdom in the right way. So how have you been asking God for wisdom lately? Maybe you haven't been asking God for wisdom at all. Maybe you've just been asking for strength. And that's, that's a good thing to ask for, right? Give me strength, right? That's a good thing. But listen, you need wisdom to apply that strength <laughs> to your situation. You need wisdom. And so I want to encourage you, whatever you're in right now, would you turn to the Lord and say, Lord, I need wisdom. And when you come to him for wisdom, would you ask in faith, nothing wavering? Nothing wavering. What in your life is wavering right now? Sometimes for me, it's just uh, I'm asking for wisdom, but in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, 
it's, it's not, this isn't going to happen. You ever say that? <laughs> the back of my mind sounds like that. That's never going to happen. Yours may be a higher pitch. I don't know. <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying. We're praying. We're saying, God, would you give me wisdom in this situation? I sure hope it fits my wisdom for this situation, you know. <laughs> Lord, would you give me wisdom? But I think it's impossible. Okay. He says, ask in faith, nothing wavering. Nothing wavering. And then God will give you that wisdom that uh, is amazing. He'll give you the kind of wisdom where uh, you'll walk away from a situation and be like, that was pretty smart. <laughs> you, ever, you ever had that in your life? I've had that before. It's great. <laughs> you like are in a situation and, and you have to respond and you respond and you respond in the Spirit's power and you prayed and God gave you that wisdom and you walk away from it like, wow, that was awesome. By the way, that wasn't you. That was God <laughs> who gave you that. And, uh, and that happens sometimes in life. But that's the wisdom of God. That's how I know. So many situations that I've been in uh, where the Lord's given us direction or given Jeanette and I wisdom in a certain thing. And I'm just like, man, that was totally the Lord because I could not have come up with that on my own. And it's a wonderful place to live. Imagine if you could apply that to all of your situations, all of the trials that you go through. Not every time do I look at a situation and give this perfect answer and it fixes it, but it at least allows me to walk through it with confidence knowing that God is there along with me. He's there. He's given me that wisdom because I've pursued him in faith in that way. And so we need to, first of all today, ask for wisdom. But secondly, he says, find contentment in your position. I even wrote the word status there next to us. He says, if you're going to work through trials, you've got to ask God for wisdom, and then you need to find contentment in your position. Look at verse number nine. He says, let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low because as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. An imperative to seeing God work in our lives is learning to rejoice in whatever state of life we find ourselves in. And here he gives us two examples, because those are the two that we, uh, that we live in here as, as, as believers today, or just as, as humans today. He talks about the lowly, and he talks about the rich. The lowly and the rich here. And he gives us this, this, these two, uh, two examples here. And he no, notice there in the verse how he says, let the brother of low degree, that's talking about someone who's maybe of a lower, uh, what the world would consider a lower position, okay? He's, he's speaking to uh, people in our world. And uh, people who are lowly, he says, to rejoice. Now that doesn't mean that we rejoice in our poorness or rejoice in our brokenness or, or anything like that or in our need. But the point is, is that we rejoice in Christ no matter what our circumstances are. How many of you have had really tough times in your life? Let's just say financially, okay? And how many of you had okay times in your life financially, okay? How many of you had good times in your life financially, all right? By the way, you should all put your hands up. You know, if you think, anyway, well, we'll talk about expectations. <laughs> we'll talk about expectations another time. Uh, but you know what I'm talking about. We have ups and downs, don't we? Ups and downs. And uh, if we are in a time of loneliness, of difficulty, we still need to rejoice, because Christ has saved us and Christ will exalt the lowly. Notice what it says there in the verse. He says, let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted. What he's talking about is the, the Christian, the person who maybe is of lowlier status or doesn't have everything going well for them or things are wrong or there's health issues or whatever. We still can rejoice because we are exalted because of Jesus Christ because of the salvation that we have in him. And then he turns on those uh, who have, uh, have wealth. He says here that uh, those that are rich, they need to also 
then recognize that they are lowly. Do you see that there? He says, uh, he says those that have means uh, need to uh, realize that we can be made low because of the flower of the grass. He shall pass away. And then at the end, it says, also shall the rich man fade away uh, in, his, in his ways there. Do you see that? Do you see it? Nod up and down. Yes, you see it. Okay, good. I got lost in my notes. That's why I'm asking you. Do you see it? Because I'm trying to find it. There it is. Okay, so he, here's what he's doing. He addresses the lowly. He says, whatever you're in, uh, you need to rejoice because you're exalted. Don't be like the world and try to medicate yourself or try to, you know, uh, make life uh, seem better by doing all of the things that the world goes to when they're struggling. You know, I'm amazed at how many people are having a rough time and they turn to drugs or alcohol or, or immorality or whatever, which just makes their life worse. For a moment, it may seem okay, but they go to that. He says, don't do that. Just rejoice that you're exalted. If you have Christ in your life, you are Christ, you're in him, you have everything you need. And so just, just be okay with that. Have the right attitude, still work hard and all of those things, but we need to just be okay where we're at in all of those stages. But then he comes to the rich and he says uh, that you need to um, uh, recognize that those things are going to fade away as well. Earthly riches are temporary, aren't they? If you invested in Bitcoin at the height of Bitcoin, uh, <laughs> earthly <laughs> riches go away quite quickly. They are temporary. No matter how much emphasis we place in our lives on building wealth and how much we try to plan for the future, we still do not know what the future may hold and those things can go away so quickly. I know so many people in my life who had things invested in certain things and they lost their whole retirement in a weekend, <laughs> you know? And it wasn't because they were gambling. It's just how things happen, bad advice, bad decisions, or whatever it may be. No matter what emphasis we place on it, we recognize that someday it may go away. Somebody once said, you may never lose your wealth, but one day your wealth will lose you. <laughs> I thought that was pretty powerful. You know, you may never lose it here on this earth and it may be passed on for generations to come, but one day you're gonna, you know, your wealth is gonna lose you. So we just need to have that, that focus. And the bottom line is this, is that the trials that we're talking about, the trials that come into our lives, the trials remind the poor that they are rich in the Lord and they remind the rich that we dare not live for riches or trust in them because they're so fleeting, they can go away. See, both poverty and riches bring enormous pressure on a person to focus on the world rather than on Christ. Both of those things that he's talking about here bring pressure into our lives to focus on the world and not focus on Jesus Christ. See, James here is echoing what his brother said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, where he said, no man can serve two masters for either he'll hate the one and love the other or else he'll hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon means money, possessions, the things of this world, the wealth of this world. And for the Christian, we must never measure our value or somebody else's value based on earthly possessions. Never. That's never to be the case of the Christian. Neither should we depend on our possessions for security and joy because both of those are connected to earthly things that fade away. Before God, all people are equal, right? No matter what status, no matter where you're at. And so the reason, or we know that, but the fact is, is that we should stop spending our lives then chasing the exact same thing that unbelievers are chasing. You get what I'm saying there? Why not skip the hardship in your life of being so financially motivated and just find your joy and contentment in your relationship with Jesus Christ? See, the goal of materialism is to find happiness, right? That's the goal. But I know multiple people who have achieved 
financial gain or whatever you want to call it on a position of comfort. And yet they would tell you, they'll tell you two things. Either it's not enough <laughs> or it wasn't what I expected, right? These are typically unsafe people and they just keep pursuing it, pursuing it, pursuing it because they thought it would be, I forget who it was, some super rich guy. I forget, I forget who he was. So I'm going to, I'll just tell you the basic idea of the story. But when he reached a certain level of wealth, they said, you know, is it is enough? I think a hundred million, is a hundred million enough? And he said, no, I just need one million more. <laughs> and he just, I forget who it was. He just kept saying that. And, and I seen one million more, one million more, one million more. That's all I need. And materialism keeps us from true joy in Jesus Christ. I was talking with a pastor uh, this last week and I asked him, I said, what's the biggest struggle in your church? And uh, he has a much larger church than this. And he said this, he said, materialism. That's like the defining issue in his church. Not, uh, not because it's a bad thing for us to have things, but he says it's distracted them all from the gospel. It's distracted them from a focus in Jesus Christ. And if we're not careful, church, materialism will creep into our hearts and our lives so very quickly, so very quickly. You say, well, pastor, I'm not rich. You know, I live here in East Vancouver. Listen, if you live anywhere in this area, you are 90% or you're richer than 90% of the rest of the world. You're 10%. Boo, you know, I'm a sign, right? That's 1%. <laughs> Actually, you're not all that far away from being 1%. Probably a lot of people in Vancouver who own homes are in that 1%, actually, of the world's population, the world's wealth. So we have so many things, no matter, even if you seem low income here in Vancouver, you have so much, but it doesn't matter if you have low income or high income, materialism is still a problem, isn't it? You're still pursuing after those things rather than trusting in Christ. I'm not against saving. I'm not against being wise. I'm not against investing in all of those things. And God blesses uh, some people more uh, than, other, uh, than others in that way. But I can also say with authority that financial blessings from God typically come because God wants you to use them to help other people, right. to be honest. God wants to use you to uh, further the mission of the church. But if you pursue wealth as your only source of joy, then you're looking at it all wrong. The church is to be countercultural in the way that we view finances. And so what he says here is that if you want to truly work through your trials, you need to understand your position and be okay with it. Be okay with where you are. Find contentment. Because our value is not found in what we have. It is found in Jesus Christ. And when you get to that point, and it, it, it has taken me, it's taken years for me to get to that position, to tell you, to be honest with you to just be okay with where I'm at. Because I'm, uh, I'm a very driven person. I think you guys understand that, right? And I married a very driven person. So two driven people equals accidents all the time. No. <laughs> uh, and uh, we're both very driven people. We both, and we have goals and all those things for our family. But it can become very consuming, can't it? Very consuming. And uh, it's freeing to get to the point in life where you say, you know what, I'm okay. God's provided for us, a roof over our head. You know, whatever it may be, if, if I'm okay, if I'm content with this, I find that working through the struggles of life and trials of life becomes so much easier because I'm not always wanting something else. You know, it's, it's hard enough to go through a trial, right, and trust God by faith. At the same time, you're thinking about all the things that you are supposedly giving up, right? <laughs> well, now I'm in this, so now I'm never going to achieve this goal that I had, and I'm going to... Stressful. It's stressful, isn't it? Stressful. And so he says that you need to have contentment here in your status. And then lastly, number three today, remember the reward for perseverance. Remember the reward for perseverance. When you're facing trials, it's so important to ask God for wisdom. It's important to be content with where you are at. And then you need to remember the reward for perseverance. Look at verse number 12. He closes here with a, a beatitude or a blessing here. 
He says, blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, you'll receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. I love that verse here. You guys know I like basketball, and uh, you know I like to play basketball and watch basketball and all of that. And right now, uh, in the basketball world, is a good time to be alive because yesterday was the final four for the national championship college basketball. Did anyone watch the games yesterday? That first one was great, wasn't it? That was a good game, although there's some controversial calls. We'll talk about it after church. Um, but uh, yesterday was the final four, and this is typically like a crowd at a final four. I mean, it's unbelievable um, for these unpaid college athletes, and uh, it's a pretty, pretty impressive um, e- event. And, and yesterday, of course, the team that I like lost. That's usually how it works for me, but uh, uh, it, was, it was pretty exciting. But the, the, the tournament, the national tournament is called March Madness, people call it that, and it's, it's pretty incredible because it's a 64-team tournament that is a single el- elimination. So if you lose, you're done. So 64 teams, if you want to stay in it, you got to win all the way. And so it came down to the final four. So these teams that were there, a couple of them had really defied odds. They weren't expected to be in the final four. It's a big accomplishment. And so yesterday there's were the, the, these big games. And it was pretty incredible. There's been, there were some injuries. There's missed shots. The whole tournament is just really exciting. And the college kids just playing for the love of the game, right? They're not playing for $35 million a season. They're playing for the love of the game, and they're working hard. And all sorts of stuff uh, was happening. And amazing last-second shots. Yesterday was pretty, pretty exciting, um, especially that first game. And, and some of it, of course, you can say is, is uh, I don't know, luck or whatever you want to call it. Um, but the thing that's so intriguing to me is that whenever they interview coaches and they interview teams, uh, players, uh, after games, uh, when they ask them, you know, why do you feel that you're at this place? They say, why do you, you know, why do you think that you guys won today? They always ask, you know, these sort of ethereal, vague questions and these, you know, this 19-year-old is supposed to figure it out, you know, and, and one of the things that they often say, though, especially the coaches, is they'll say this, they'll say this, well, we're here today, we won today because we stuck to the game plan. We stuck to the game plan. We practiced this. We had worked on this specific situation or this set. Uh, we've just been doing what we've been doing all year long. You'll hear that a lot too. We're just doing what we've done all year long. Well, what are, they, what are they saying there? They're saying that the training, the way that they played all year long, has helped them to persevere to this specific point where they're achieving great things, but to them, they're just doing the same thing that they've been doing all along. Okay? Now, that's how it is a lot in the Christian life, isn't it? As Christians, we are to persevere. We're to persevere. We are to continue on in our training. We're to persevere in what we've been doing, what God has taught us to do. And as we persevere, as we endure testing, as we endure trials, as we mature through those trials, eventually we get to that point where we're working through some pretty incredible things. If you look back on your life and you look at the trials that you've just been through, I know for me when I look back, I say, I never thought I'd have to go through that. I never thought that God would bring me through that situation. And the reason we don't reflect like that, because as soon as one trial is done, we focus on the next trial, right? The next one comes right along. But the fact is, is as we work through those things, as God uh, does that work in our lives, as we mature through it, we persevere, and we're able to see God work in even greater and greater ways, just like those athletes do uh, for those, uh, those competitions. But Christians, we need to persevere in our spiritual training. And so James here encourages us. He says, listen, blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. And then this last part, he says, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. You see, love is the spiritual motivation behind every action of the Christian life. 
Love is the spiritual action or the motivation behind every action in the Christian life. When we love someone, we trust them, right? When we love somebody, we trust them. And so because of our love for God, we trust him in those trials. We endure those trials with grace. And then he talks about here the crown of life. Now, the crown of life is, is kind of a cool thing. There's actually a bunch of different crowns that are mentioned in Scripture that we as Christians can uh, earn. I was talking to somebody on the phone this morning uh, at like 7.30 this morning, and, uh, and he was, I, I, I don't, and he just says, I want to earn some crowns. I want to earn some crowns. <laughs> so we had a conversation about that. It's sort of a random phone call. But uh, we were talking about that uh, this morning, and, and one of these, though, is the crown of life, and the crown of life is given to those, when we get to heaven, is given to those who are faithful through the trials. Those that persevere for the Lord, that have, uh, have, a, have a right attitude through it. There's a lot of people who stumble through trials, right? They stumble through them. But it says if we persevere, if we, if we will go through those trials with grace and with God, then we'll receive the crown of life. And I got to tell you, if you receive the crown of life from God in heaven, that has some value to it. That's some value to it. That's why I love that, the picture of us taking those crowns and putting it at his feet. Because there's nothing we could bring with us from this earth to heaven that would be worth anything to God. But when he gives us something for persevering, for walking by faith, and we can give that back to him, it has some value to it, doesn't it? Has some value. And for us, you know, if if you persevere for anything else, just persevere for the crown of life. (laughs) What a reward that is. Can you imagine to stand before God and for him to give us a crown for persevering through trials? Kind of gives us a different perspective to the trials we're facing, doesn't it? Because often we look at these trials and we just want to get through them. That's all we want. And God will help you get through them. But if we get through them with grace, with faith, he says that he will give us a crown of life. I think, I hope I'll have a f- more than one. <laughs> we may not be able to compare to the stack of crowns that the Apostle Paul has, but just even have one. I mean, it'd be an amazing thing to have that before God, have that reward from God. The crown of life to me is an expression of hope. It's an expression of hope that we persevered, that we endured, that we trusted God in all things and will receive that reward in heaven. Here's what it all boils down to today. Trials, testing that you're facing right now will either drive you to the Lord, it'll drive you away from him. That's what it comes down to. It'll either push you to God or push you away from him. So many Christians become bitter through testings. So many Christians walk away from their faith through the trials and the the hard things that they're going through but there'll be a crown of life for those that persevere through those trials. And so I wanna encourage you today, take heart with what you're facing right now. Take heart in that trial that you're walking through. If you would ask for wisdom, if you would allow God to work through you and give you that wisdom to walk through that trial, there's gonna be a reward waiting for you at the end of the day. Now, don't look at your spouse and say, I'm getting a reward for you, okay? Don't say that. (laughs) Don't say that today. But do you understand? You understand what he's saying here? The point that he's trying to get across to us as we face trials, as we face hardships, ask God for wisdom, be content with your status, be content where you are, and just remember there's a reward coming. We hope today's message was an encouragement in your relationship with Christ. To stay connected with us, you can like us on Facebook or give us a follow on Instagram at Van City Baptist. Our prayer is that God will uniquely bless and grow you as you pursue his will for your life.